This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. Hello and welcome to the Girl Fit Method podcast. I'm your host, Natasha Wakefield, and I am here to help you take charge of your health, get empowered, and ultimately become the best version of yourself. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Girl Fit Method podcast. On today's podcast episode, I'm doing a Q&A, popped a question box up on both my Girlfoot Method Instagram page and the podcast Instagram page, and I got some really, really awesome questions. However, before we jump into that today, I do want to say that behind the scenes, myself and the team are working on a little project. So a question I get asked all the time is around hormonal issues. Obviously, you know that I talk about that quite a bit However, we really want to delve into educating you guys around thyroid help. So if you're having issues with your thyroid as well as any kind of like PCOS or insulin resistance and those kinds of conditions seem to be affecting so many more women these days. So we do have something we're working on on the side, which is super exciting. And obviously the pod squad is the first to hear about this. So stay tuned over the next coming weeks I'll be sharing more information probably on the podcast Instagram page. So make sure you're following. If you're not already on that Instagram page, I share lots of additional information there that I don't on my main page. So I will keep you posted. Super excited to bring you all that. You're going to love it. But let's get stuck into today's questions. Okay, so I got a fair few double ups, which is good because they're obviously questions you guys want to know about. So question number one, and honestly, this is... This is a question you shouldn't ask me about because I could talk about it forever. And that is, what is my skincare routine? Well, 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 well. At the moment, currently, I am using a a custom, I guess, skincare company that will... So you jump on, they're called QR8, by the way. Now, they're based here in Australia. I don't know whether they sell internationally, but their products have been amazing. So you jump on a call with them. You speak with a certified dermatologist and then what you do is um, they assess, you know, whatever your issue is. So for me, I don't tend to have breakouts, but my main problem is pigmentation. And for whatever reason, apparently when you're pregnant, due to the hormonal changes, you can get more pigmentation, which is what happened to me especially with my background as well. Apparently olive skin is more susceptible to it. So I'm on a routine at the moment where I have a day cream and a night cream. Now, could I tell you what on earth is in it? No, unfortunately, but it's to do with my skin. It's been amazing. My pigmentation has faded, which has been really awesome. And then they check in with you like every month you have a nurse call. That's what I'm doing currently. Besides that, I have just like a normal cleanser, I moisturize and then SPF obviously all the time. The sunscreen I love to use is Fit Cover and I've spoken to you guys about the foundation that I use, which I'm actually wearing right now if you are watching this on YouTube. And it is beautiful and Fit Cover have the best SPF. And I usually will wear that. I mean, I'm wearing the liquid makeup at the moment, but I would usually just wear the SPF and then sometimes like a little bit of concealer and it is so glowy and so nice, but you need to use SPF. When I was young, I used to sit out in the sun and tan and now that I'm older, I'm regretting that, but it is the number one cause of aging and obviously there's other reasons. You don't want to be getting sunburnt, like cancer, Um, 
but that is my skincare routine. I'm going to bring an expert in. They are on my list and we're going to talk all things skincare. We'll talk acne. Hormonal acne is a really big one as well that I want to cover for you guys. And then what kind of products you should be spending money on and then products that you shouldn't be spending money on. Because in my skincare journey, I've gone over the top and have ended up purchasing like so much stuff and then it's freaked my skin out. My skin's gotten really dry and it's kind of been counterproductive. So stay tuned. I will bring someone on that is an expert. I'm not an expert. QRA is what I'm using at the moment. Highly recommend. Okay, next question. All right, so how, what are your main tips for eating enough protein on a budget? This is a really good question because protein in particular, if you're a big meat eater, can be expensive because meat is expensive. And then also, if you're not a big meat eater, then supplementing with things like protein powder and protein bars are quite expensive. Um, So my top tips, first of all, and I actually have a separate podcast episode all on this. Um, And maybe what I'll do is I will link that in the show notes. So And we give really good tips on how to, especially for a family, how to cook in bulk and then be able to save money. But basically my first tip is going to be that, right? So buy buy in bulk. If you have a Costco near you, buy like large amounts of ground beef, for example. That's always going to work out cheaper. What I do is I will cook bulk, even just for myself, and then I will create like... I'll just then weigh it out or have whatever portion it is. I'll make up my meal. I'll either freeze them if I'm going to have them later or I will pop them in the fridge. Usually like I don't like meals sitting in the fridge longer than like two days, but that works out a lot cheaper. Thinking ahead is going to be key here. If you're not getting enough protein in say like, you know, it hits 4 p.m., then you kind of have to rush and then you choose options that are probably going to be more expensive because they're more convenient. The next thing is having a look at protein powders. There is such a huge markup with supplements. Like it's unbelievable. But there are certain websites and brands that are really, really good. Bulk Nutrients comes to mind where you can buy like large amounts of protein powder and it does taste pretty good, like two kilos, three kilos, and it's going to be cheaper once again. Other places like Costco, like I mentioned, will have like bulk protein bars if there's a protein bar that you like. Then also make sure that you're incorporating plant-based proteins as well. So not having to have meats every single day for lunch or for dinner um, because they will, that'll be more expensive, lentils, beans, things like that. And what other ones do I have? I would say just planning ahead of time, choosing a cheaper cuts of meat as well obviously like depends where you are in the world but over here if you're going to get like a nice steak that's kind of like it's expensive right chicken breast much much cheaper and the same with fish as well like there are fish options here as well in Australia like salmon is quite expensive we have we call them prawns people in the US and everywhere else call them shrimp but that's quite expensive but then you can also buy frozen products which are a little bit cheaper too They are my top tips. I was all over the place there, but hopefully that helps. Okay, there's a second part to this person's question, and that was transitioning from a calorie deficit to maintenance, how do I do it? Do I need to reverse diet or can I jump straight back up to my maintenance calories? Great question. Truth is, when when you finish your calorie deficit, you will have your new maintenance calories. Now, 
there is zero difference in the process of how you get to those maintenance calories. So if you slowly increase back up to your new maintenance, or if you jump straight up the next day, there's going to be no difference in the outcome. Quick interruption. So if you want to win a $100 Gymshark voucher, I give one away per month to anyone that leaves a rating, review and subscribes to the podcast. All you need to do is take a screenshot of that rating, review, send it to me on Instagram at GirlFitMethod podcast Instagram page and you will go into the running. All right, back to the podcast. When we talk about reverse dieting and increasing your maintenance calories, that's kind of how we use it, right? However, let's just say that you used to maintain your weight eating 2000 calories. You go into a calorie deficit eating 1500 calories. You lose all this weight. You're happy. You're like, sweet. All right, I'm going to go back up to my new maintenance. Because you've lost body fat, you're a smaller human. Now your body actually doesn't need those 2000 calories. Well, it can't maintain its new body fat percentage, your new weight eating 2000 calories. It's going to be lower. So let's just say now your new maintenance is 1800. So if you were to take, so we have option A, option B, option A is you go, all right, well, I'm going to increase to 1600 calories this week. And then the next week, 17, then the the next week, 18, you're kind of just prolonging the process of staying in a deficit and then maybe further down regulating your metabolism, where if you can jump straight back up to that 1800, you're going to start to counteract some of the negative effects that dieting have. So that would be my advice, first of all. Obviously, it can be a little bit confusing on figuring out what your new maintenance calories are. What I would suggest doing is thinking about what your old maintenance were and then shaving off maybe like 300 calories from that, jumping up, maintaining for a couple of weeks um, that amount of food and then making sure that you are tracking body measurements and progress pictures because just remember, as soon as you start to eat more, your weight will spike. It will always spike because you're refueling your Uh, muscle glycogen stores, which is a really good thing, those get depleted when you're in a calorie deficit, right? So when you start to eat more, it is not fat. It's it's kind of just like it's your body's holding on to more water, let's just say, right? You're just going to be heavier. So keep that in mind. Sometimes we can freak out after we've been in a deficit seeing the scale increase. But if we're tracking all of these other metrics, then it paints a complete picture on where we're at. Now, when we talk about reverse dieting, Let's just say now you have, you know, you've lost the weight, your new maintenance calories are 1800, but you're thinking, I actually really don't want to eat 1800 calories for the rest of my life and maintain this body fat percentage. I want to be able to eat more. That's when we kind of strategically look at increasing from there, right? But jumping straight up to your new maintenance is really what you will want to do after a deficit because we don't want to prolong the negative impacts of dieting, which is, you know, thinking about food all the time, decrease in energy, your workouts suck, all that sort of stuff. We want to get you happy and healthy. And that is a question I get a lot of the time. And most of the time, girls don't want to do that because they're scared, right? They've like been in a deficit. They've put in all this hard work to lose weight. They don't want to gain it all back. But truth is, it's no different if you do it slowly or if you do it fast and just jump straight up to your new maintenance. Okay, next question. How to stay healthy while traveling? All righty. So this is where understanding nutrition is really important. Now, 
you don't need to count your calories, right? So there is absolutely ways that you can, and for us, what we do with our girls is we have several ways in which we coach them around nutrition to educate them on how to consume food, what foods to consume when without having to track one single calorie. So let me just preface that by saying that's not needed. However, if you don't have that knowledge, then working with a coach is going to be very helpful for you. Otherwise, you're just going to be trying to figure things out on your own. It can be very confusing and overwhelming. Where calorie counting can be really helpful is if you do it for a period of time, then you understand, you know, you'll look at a particular meal and you'll understand how many grams of protein is in 100 grams of cooked chicken breast. Or you'll even be able to see 100 grams of cooked chicken breast and know it's 100 grams just by eyeballing it, right? So you've had this time where you've kind of learnt, you've educated yourself, you've practised kind of figuring out what's in foods. So that when you're in a situation where you're not controlling the meals that you're eating, the options that you're having, you will be able to eyeball it and have a bit of an estimate of, oh, okay, roughly about this amount of protein, this amount of calories. Now, it's not going to be accurate, but the thing is, is that it actually never is accurate. Labels, food labels are always off. We think, you know, I don't know, let's just take an example of um, if you have a Subway, right? One Subway that someone makes, let's just say you've got like ham and turkey in there and that's supposed to equal, I don't know, 400 calories. The next time you get that sub, we have no idea. That person's not weighing the amount of sauce they're putting in there. They're not weighing the deli meat. Like it's always going to vary, right? There's always this room for like movement. However, when we're traveling, it's going to be a little bit more. So what we want to do is number one, be educated and understand what we need in order to achieve our goal. Number two, what you want to think about is leaving yourself a little bit of a buffer. So when we're traveling, if we're eating out a lot, restaurants will always add in more oil, more butter, and that's because it tastes really good. So always leave a buffer. And I would say like most main meals at a restaurant aren't going to be anywhere below a thousand calories, right? So you want to think about adding that into however much food you eat in a day. The next thing to think about is just really focusing on hitting protein. It's really hard sometimes if you're not mindful of what you're consuming to not hit your protein. For example, I am, you know, I'm not at home at the moment. So all the meals that I'm going to be consuming today are going to be meals that I'm buying. Now I'm going to make sure that for each of those meals for breakfast, lunch and dinner and my snacks, that they are all going to have a good amount of protein in them. You know, I might not be able to hit my protein like I would prior at home, but I can make the best decisions and choices throughout my day. And, and now there are so many different options, whether that's takeaway, whether that's supermarket, supermarket purchase foods. Just always think about protein first, have a protein source in mind when you're, when you're consuming a meal. And then the next thing I would say is like, if you're traveling, if you're on vacation, honestly, just enjoy yourself, like make the best decisions you possibly can, but also understand that life's about making memories and you're out of your normal routine and that's okay. Like that's kind of the fun of it is that you can have this time where you don't need to be so strict on yourself and you can kind of just relax and choose what you want to eat. You know, a week, two, three, four weeks of going off track in the big picture, we zoom out, is not going to impact the progress that you make. 
what impacts the progress that you make is this mentality of, you know, going on holiday, eating foods that you feel guilty, overeating, and then feeling like, oh my goodness, I need to restrict and then telling yourself you can't have those foods again and then overeating those foods and that's that horrible cycle, right? And then that's what breeds this really unhealthy relationship with food. We get anxious about going away and not being able to control what we eat. And that's just a recipe for absolute disaster. So really make sure that you are just enjoying yourself. If that means that you have a little bit bit of balance. So if you're going to go out and enjoy like a dessert, then maybe for lunch, just keep your meal really simple. Get a protein sauce and a vegetable sauce and just like Keep it simple because you know that you're going to be probably consuming more calories in the evening. It's actually really, really pretty simple. I think we can sometimes overcomplicate it and we just have to expect, uh, ex- accept, expect, accept that we're not going to be able to track and have things accurate 100% of the time when we're travelling. But embrace it and have fun. You do go back to routine and then you'll get back to your normal daily tasks and wish you were on vacation again. All right, next question. Oh, how to recover from exercise addiction? <sighs> Great question. And this is a real thing. So exercise has been proven to be amazing for our mental health. And the reason for that is it releases dopamine. And dopamine is what makes us feel amazing. Now, after we exercise, we get a bit of a rush of feeling good. And when we're in a stage in life where maybe we're not feeling that great, then that feeling we get from exercise can absolutely be addictive because that dopamine that is released is the same thing that happens when an alcoholic drinks alcohol and they get a dopamine hit from that if they're an addict, right, or a drug. It's the same thing. So although the substance is obviously different, you can still have this attachment to exercise and this feel this need to exercise as if you were addicted to it, which sort of sounds a little bit silly, but it's a real thing. And I've experienced this myself. I've talked about how like I just relied on exercise so much when I was younger and exercised like crazy. And then what made me realise I had an issue with it was that when I wouldn't, or I couldn't get a workout in, I'd feel so incredibly anxious. So in fact, what was happening was, is I thought that I was relying on exercise as a means to be able to improve my mental health, right? But I'd become so obsessed with it that now it was actually negatively impacting my mental health because I felt like I needed it. Like I needed it just to feel okay. I just need to share a quick message with you all. So listen, if you are stuck under eating, over-exercising and seeing no changes in your body and you are ready to make that change, head down to the show notes. We have an application form for our one-on-one coaching program that includes our three-phased coaching method that has helped women across the world find food freedom and improve the look of their body. All right, back to the podcast episode. Now, overcoming that, okay, so there's two parts to this, by the way. The next part is going to be your relationship with exercise and why you exercise because context is everything. So if you purely see exercise as a means to control your weight or as a means to allow yourself to eat a certain amount of calories, then all that's going to do is breed this terrible relationship with exercise, which can then also bleed into that exercise addiction where you feel like you need to in order to be able to earn the food that you eat, which unfortunately has really been you know, 
we all used to see those Instagram posts where it was like, you know, one chocolate bar equals like a two-hour run or whatever garbage, you know, that sort of stuff. And so we feel like we need to move our body in order to earn food. But the truth is, is like if you couldn't move all day and you were stuck in bed, your body still burns calories and it still needs food, right? So we don't want to think about exercise as a way to burn calories to lose weight or to earn our food. That's the first thing you need to really work on. How do you overcome it? Really, and from my experience, I'll share my own story, is that I was waiting for a time that I would feel ready to to back off. And what I realised is that it was going to feel hard regardless. I actually just had to make the decision to choose to go, okay, this relationship I have with exercise is unhealthy because it was affecting my health negatively and I actually need to just sit in that uncomfort. So let's just say someone who's a drug addict and then they wean off that drug. Do you think there's ever a perfect time for that person to do that? Do you think, you know, on a Thursday, on the 5th of May, 2025, suddenly they're going to have no withdrawals? No, they're always going to. It's whether you're ready to sit in that that uncomfort and really be able to understand that in order to get over it, you've got to feel uncomfortable, which is what I did. And so, you know, now, I mean, I, oh my goodness, the past three weeks, I have, I've, I have not worked out much. And that's just because I've been so busy and I have not even had one feeling of being uncomfortable, which is awesome. You know, if I think back 10 years ago, that would have just been like horrendous. I would have felt so terrible. I would have felt so anxious where it doesn't affect me anymore. But I had to sit in that period of feeling uncomfortable and relearning, okay, well, like, if I'm relying on one thing to just feel good, then I need to come up with other tools that I keep in my toolbox, not that I have a toolbox. Actually, I do have a toolbox at home. But that I can rely on when I'm feeling pretty shitty. Like, what else can I do to make myself feel better? Can I call a friend? Can I journal? Can I actually pick up another hobby and learn something else that's going to benefit me rather than just absolutely smashing myself at the gym. It's a hard process, but I think the most important thing is to understand it's never going to be easy and you could choose to just sit in that uncomfort. Okay, next next question. Oh, I have so many here. <gasps> Which are the best life lessons you could give to your, give to your younger self or to younger people? Ha-ha. <laughs> Considering I'm very old and wise, I would say the biggest piece of advice I would give to someone younger than me is to make all the mistakes. I think we're too worried, especially when you're younger, you overthink things, you're scared of failing, you don't know what the right decision is. and some, or, or a big one is that we're too scared of what people think about us and so we live really small and we live with what we We think people, others want us to live, the kind of life that they want us to live. And we're too scared of maybe embarrassing ourselves, trying something, not becoming the best at it. And the biggest lesson I've learned is that through my failures and the things that haven't worked out for me, I've learned the biggest lessons and I've grown. But it's also enabled me to figure out, okay, well, I've tried that, that didn't work. From that, I've learned a lesson. And that's actually led me to what's been most successful in my life. So reframing the way that we see failure and just going out there, making mistakes, forgiving yourself, learning from them and becoming a better person. Go out there, do dumb stuff, 
learn, grow and become better. That's my advice. I don't think your parents are going to like that, but okay. This is going to be the last question. I honestly got so many and they're also incredibly amazing. Like I said, like lots of them are kind of along the same line. So hopefully if I haven't answered your question specifically, what I've talked about today, will kind of cover it. All right. This is a DM I just received and I wanted to answer it on the podcast because I get this a lot. All right. Hey, Tash. Hello. I've really been struggling recently with my reverse diet. I started at 1,200 calories and increased each week. I'm now at 1,700 calories and gaining weight consistently at around two pounds per week. I've gained 10 pounds in total and don't understand why my body keeps gaining if I'm not increasing and letting my body stay at 1,700 calories for a few weeks. It's extremely frustrating because none of my pants are fitting me anymore and I just want to go straight back into a deficit. What should I do? Great question. And the first thing I want to say is that I understand how uncomfortable the whole process of eating more is. Now, the first thing to understand is that if you are in a situation where you're reverse dieting, the reason you're doing that is because you've had an unhealthy relationship with food and you've been scared to eat more. So what you're doing right now is facing your greatest fear. So the first thing I want to say is well done. Okay, because it is super duper uncomfortable. Now, without knowing too much more about this particular person and their starting place, one thing springs to mind to me. And that is, if you've been chronically dieting and under eating and you're potentially at a low weight or a low body fat percentage, or do you know what? You're just at a low weight or body fat percentage for your specific genetics. And that's very important because our bodies sit at different body fat percentages will vary, right? So where my body sits healthy, healthily might not be where someone else will sit healthily at a similar body fat percentage. So it's very specific to you, is that you actually just might need to gain weight to be healthy. So as soon as you start to eat more, that's going to happen. And when I say weight, I'm referring to body fat, right? So as we reverse diet, weight's going to increase. Very, very normal. Once again, going back to what I said before, muscle glycogen, you want to think about muscle glycogen as like food for your muscles. And when you don't eat enough, it's depleted, right? Now we need, muscle glycogen is amazing. We need it. So as soon as you start to eat more, your poor little body is going, okay, I've been so deprived of this. Let me just suck it all in. And it sits within your muscle fibers. And that will see that number increase. Also, as you start to eat more as well and you're training, if you're strength training, you could also be building muscle, which is really awesome. Muscle is more dense. So you're going to be seeing the number on the scale also increase, right? Okay, so there's that. So it could be that you just need to gain body fat. And unfortunately, that's just going to be something you need to come to terms with. The next thing to think about is that if you're chronically undereaten, you know, you might be at a healthy body weight and a body fat percentage. However, sometimes what happens is when you're like malnourished and for a lot of you that are under eating, you might think you're not, but you probably are, your body can want to hold on to body fat. And the reason for that is it's quite stressed out. So you think about your body wants to just keep you alive. It always just wants to keep you alive. Do you know, even if you were morbidly obese, you go into a calorie deficit, your body still perceives that as a threat. So it still thinks there's not enough food around what do we need to do to get more food, even though maybe losing body fat for that particular person is actually going to be beneficial to their health. So this is the way you want to think about things. So if you were at a healthy weight, right, 
even by healthy weight, you know, you could have even had some fat to lose, but you were still kind of healthy. Then you go in a prolonged period of time where you're under eating, right? Your body's stressed. It's freaking out. So when you start to eat more, it doesn't, it doesn't want to use that. It wants to hold on to it, especially if you find that things like your digestion slows down, your, you've got hormonal issues, you're really tired all the time. That is a massive sign that certain functions in your body just aren't working. And so now that you're getting all of these additional calories, it wants to use it, right? It wants to use it and it's scared that you're going to put it back into a calorie deficit. So sometimes what happens is, is you overshoot your natural, where your body kind of likes to sit, your set point weight. And you need to sit there for a little bit of time before things even out. And that's something that I experienced as well. So I was probably like, when I started to eat more, like maybe like five, six kilos heavier than what I am now. And I'm able to maintain my current weight now very easily, right? But that was years ago. So spent, I'd spent some time like that and I can't tell you how long, but sometimes that is just the case. They are going to be the main reasons as to why you're finding your weight is increasing substantially. Please, if you're doing a reverse diet, do not rely on scale weight as your only means to track your progress. Take body measurements progress, which is your scale weight will increase. And if that's all you're going off, honestly, you're going to think that you're failing when you could actually be on track and progressing really well. All right, guys, that was an awesome episode. Thank you for submitting those questions. Absolutely loved it. And as always, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave me a five-star rating or leave me a review. Send me a DM. Let me know if you liked the podcast episode. You have no idea how much that helps me out. And it just really helps me to be able to provide you with more content, valuable content to be able to support you throughout your health and fitness journey. All right. Until next time, big love, Coach Tash.